Thank you for joining us for Revive the Drive, a ministry of the Bethany Fellowship of Churches. We live in a world where time is a precious commodity. One of the avenues for reviving our souls is the necessary commute to and from the many places our schedules take us. As the wheels of the car begin to turn, join our panel and set the wheels of your mind in motion as you consider the significance and impact of theology on everyday life. Let's listen in as our pastors talk theology. Welcome to this installment of Revive the Drive. I am Pastor Art Georges, and I'm here with Pastor Rich Burkle and Pastor Daniel Bennett. In this session, we would like to talk about the subject of church growth and the modern church growth movement. The Bible often refers to the local church, a formal grouping of believers of Jesus Christ, as the body of Christ. And that analogy is to the human body, and each believer is referred to as a part or a member of that human body. And this important analogy helps us to be mindful that the church is an organism, a living, breathing, spiritual entity, not simply an organization. Having said that, we generally expect healthy organisms to grow, and we expect and desire that our own local churches be healthy organisms whose health is reflected in growth. Yet, in our desire to see our churches thrive, we sometimes can become discouraged when we don't see numeric growth, and our discouragement can easily lead us to try new techniques, new approaches to doing church, new ministries, new philosophies on how we preach, how we teach, how we attract visitors, how we attempt to keep visitors and turn them into stayers. And yet there's a tension, isn't there, men? Uh, because the scriptures tell us in Psalm 127, 1, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. In the topic of church growth, all of the discussion has been grouped into a formal subject called the church growth movement, a subject that attempts to help us understand what we should be doing and what we should avoid in order to grow the size of our church. Books are written, uh, seminars are conducted, and you can even get a doctorate today with a specialization in how to grow the church. Pastors and leaders want to see their church grow numerically as a confirmation of the effectiveness of their own efforts. Church members want to see their church grow numerically as a confirmation to them that they're part of a church that God is blessing. Men, in order to edify our listeners, let's identify some of the wrong reasons and techniques used in an attempt to grow the church. Uh, let's articulate what the New Testament has to say about the way the early church exploded with growth, both spiritually and numerically. And finally, let's discuss our own understanding of what God desires our churches to do in order to experience healthy growth of the bodies of believers we shepherd. Men, what are some of the unhealthy philosophies that drive the modern church growth movement of today? Well, Art, to, to reaffirm what you just said, I, I do believe that God intends for his church to grow. Jesus said that uh, the kingdom of, of heaven is like a, a mustard seed. It's, uh, it starts out very small, and yet just as a mustard seed that's planted in the ground, it, it grows, and it grows in this huge tree. It grows a huge plant, and Jesus identified 
God's people as being just like that. And we see that, of course, all through the New Testament that started off with 12 disciples and Mm -hmm. grew into what we know today as the Church of Jesus Christ. And it's continuing to expand, and God intends for it to expand all the way till uh, the time that he comes. But uh, I think most of these uh, philosophies that we're going to be discussing, they're not necessarily evil. I don't think they start off with the wrong motives. They, they have a desire to see the church grow, so it's not necessarily wrong motives, but they, they start typically with the wrong questions. Um, you know, that there are, I think, two questions that we uh, ask when we think about the church and its growth. And, and the first uh, question is, well, what's going to bring glory to God? And the second is, well, what's going to draw people and the order of those questions uh, is so very important. And, and most of these techniques that we're going to discuss, I think, place the order of those questions where they first ask, well, how are we going to draw people? And then, in view of that, how does this glorify God? Right. And, uh, and that, from the get-go then, automatically puts us on a foundation that leaves God in a secondary position. And, mm. and we can expect all kinds of manners of... Uh, of confusion and and even wrong methods uh, to grow the church. When you start with that second question first, uh, how do I grow the church? How can I keep people here? You really start to uh, approach the church and church growth very pragmatically. Uh, David Wells uh, calls it you know, this kind of consumer-driven culture. Uh, let me read something he wrote in the book, The Courage to be Protestant, here under a heading entitled Walmart Churches. Uh, He says the evangelical church, or at least a good slice of it, is nervous, twitchy, and touchy about consumer desire, ready to change in a nanosecond the slightest hint that tastes and interests have changed. Why? Because consumer appetite reigns, and consumer appetite and consumer rights go hand in hand. Uh, These rights and appetites are very much alive in what used to be called the pew, and those who attend churches are, are not like any other customers you might meet in the mall displease them in any way, and they will take their business elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And that is the fear that lurks in many a church leader's soul because they know that is how the marketplace works. So ultimately, then, it's the fear of man as opposed to the fear of God that drives leadership in a church and making right. decisions. Right. That's good. The modern church growth movement has really been traced back to uh, the 1970s and a trend which was uh, – labeled the self-esteem movement. So the focus was wrong-centered because it it held that uh, man's greatest need was to value himself. And uh, then that degenerated into what we know as uh, the seeker-sensitive movement, not that our churches ought not to um, be sensitive to uh, the concerns and and, uh, sensitivities of uh, those who would come, but uh, we're not seeker insensitive. <laughs> that's right. That's right. We want to to provide a compelling place to worship, and uh, and yet um, when, as Rich said, uh, we have the fear of man as a, a prime focus, uh, we're going to try to be consumer driven. We're going to try to please the person who would be in the pew or in the chair, and it all was revolving around the self fulfillment uh, of mankind as opposed to the glorification of God. And just to jump on top of that as we're talking about terms that have been changed for the church to use that really move away from the Scripture and toward more of a man-centered view of people and God and and ministry, uh, we began to view unbelievers as the unchurched. 
as though the greatest thing that we could possibly do for a person is to get them in church. Now, it's good to invite people to church and to have them in church, but that's not the goal at all. There, there are many people who are in church all their lives, and they will spend eternity apart from God mm-hmm. because they haven't been reconciled with him through the gospel. And and the scripture uh, uses other terms. It uses the word, for instance, unbeliever, as opposed to an unchurched person. And so even in those term ways of we, we term uh, uh, people and, and the terms we use, it drives the way we think about church, whether we first start with God or whether we start with um, church attendance and, and, and people. Hmm. What are some of the techniques that uh, you've seen employed in the modern church growth movement in order to get more people to come and and stay well and, and tagging on to what rich just said there about uh you, when the the market becomes the unbeliever like how can i get the unbeliever into my church well that tailors the way that the a church service looks so instead of uh the gathering together of the saints in order to glorify god and edify and encourage one another as, as one proclaims jesus christ as lord the the goal uh, or the, the question is what can i do to make the unbelievable unbeliever comfortable and enjoy this service. And obviously, uh, a person that, that doesn't yet have a relationship with God is, is not going to be excited about the things of God. And so there's a diminishing focus on God and his glory and his character, his attributes, and, and how to please him. Mm-hmm. And it ultimately then will change the message that's preached that's right. because the gospel is an offense. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. And and so if, if our goal becomes to help people feel very comfortable and enjoy the service, then there's aspects of the gospel that will simply either be muted altogether, left out, or at least changed uh, so that they're not strongly presented and clearly uh, made, made the focus. So what we end up having is, is uh, people who are enjoying church uh, thinking that they're being drawn closer to God who really uh, are... Be- becoming more inoculated, mm-hmm. immune to the gospel because they're around things that are sacred without without hearing the, the powerful message of the gospel, confronting sin and speaking of the atonement of Jesus and, and our need to commit ourselves wholly and fully in faith to him. Mm-hmm. You know, as you said earlier, there's always, uh, almost always a uh, well-meaning uh, intention behind uh, some of the techniques. One of uh, one of the things that we've seen is the surveying of the the ta- the town, the community, and asking for an understanding of felt needs, and then trying to deal with those felt needs as a part of the service. Uh, you would per- perhaps receive a postcard that said, uh, "Come." Uh, the sermon won't be real long. You can be wear whatever you want. We won't make you feel guilty. Uh, just all of these things that were catering to the comfort of the person as opposed to recognizing that, as you said, Rich, that the gospel uh, does present uh, a, an offense to uh, the sinner and a, a call to be reconciled to the God that they have strayed away from. And, and so um, one, one person has said that uh, you know, where entertainment is used as a hook to pull people in, uh, whatever you hook someone with, you've got to continue with to keep them. Yeah. And we, I understand that the reason why that movement has developed is often because of past abuses of the church in being unnecessarily offensive. Yeah. 
in being self-righteous, in being legalistic. And, uh, you know, the very fact that we have a church growth movement reminds me of how dangerous legalism and self-righteousness, for mm. instance, in the church is, because you're mm-hmm. going to respond against that. Right. And what you may res- respond to uh, may ultimately be worse than, than uh, what you came from. Mm-hmm. And uh, our our desire is to please the Lord in all things, and we have a, a great source to know exactly how we can please him. We have the Bible, the Bible that explains the scriptures to us powerfully and ably and and talks about sin and talks about the need for repentance and talks about a Savior who loves us and gave himself for us in his grace and and calls us then to believe in him and commit our way to him. And so we have a sufficient word. I believe, however, that oftentimes the methodology that uh, we're tempted to employ in order to grow the church doesn't come from the word, but comes from the study of of society. It comes from the study of of uh, people's felt needs, or sociology, or uh, community surveys, and that's a wrong place to discover what the center of ministry should be. Yeah. Well, your your mentioning of the scriptures as our guide is a good one, and it segues us to. A discussion. Why don't we help our listeners with the testimony of Scripture, the testimony of the Bible, especially the book of Acts, uh, on how and why the early church grew exponentially so that we would know uh, what is fitting in order to see our ministries be blessed. Yeah, here in Acts chapter 2, you have uh, the, the church beginning to grow and in Verse 41, it says that those who received uh, his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And you go down in verse uh, 47, and then it talks about the fellowship that they had. And then verse 47, they were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And this is a good uh, a good passage also to counteract kind of the opposite of the church growth movement, the, the people who don't want the church to grow at all, who say, you know, we like our church small, we're not worried about numbers. I mean, Luke isn't writing this and, and really discouraged, like, oh, man, we had this great fellowship of just the, the, the guys gathered in the upper room, and man, the church grew. It was just so depressing. Mm-hmm. No, he's, he's, it shows, as, as you mentioned at the very beginning, uh, that this was a, a living organism, that, that God was at work, that the Holy Spirit's power was was uh, accompanying that gospel presentation, and people were responding in faith. And so growth is a good thing. It's a, a biblical idea to have a, a church grow as pe- as souls are added to, to God's kingdom. That's good. And, and yet that passage, as well as others, uh, indicate that it's God that gives the growth. Right. We can't manufacture growth. So the church isn't a manufacturing – excuse me, it isn't a factory. Mm. It is a uh, living organism. It's a it's a vine. It's a uh, um, it's something that God is in complete control of how broad and wide uh, the produce is. And so, you know, the Apostle Paul would say in in his letter to uh, Church at Corinth that there are some who plant and some who water, but the Lord gives the increase. And when we begin to con- concern ourselves, well, how can we manufacture the increase? Then we've lost that sense of dependence upon God to say, Lord, you've taught us how to plant. You've given us the seed to sow. You've shown us how to sow. You've, you've given us the water uh, of your word, and, uh, and now it's ours just to depend upon you. It's ours to be faithful and then depend upon you to give the increase. That's good. Daniel, you mentioned uh, verse 41 of Acts chapter 2, 
they received his word, and the word was really in verse 40, be saved from this perverse generation. Right. There was a conviction of sin and a need to repent. Our Lord Jesus' first uh, public testimony of, uh, in, as recorded in Mark was repent and believe. And, and so uh, there is the offense of the gospel that must be proclaimed in order for uh, people to understand their need to be reconciled. Um, man's greatest need is not uh, generally going to be understood by himself uh, in felt needs, but the scriptures say that his greatest need is for reconciliation and redemption. And uh, but but because of the ideological strongholds that uh, are part of our culture, uh, often they're fueled by idolatry. Men and women don't understand their need to be reconciled, and so we must proclaim that. What uh, what would be the role of the Holy Spirit in our efforts uh, to proclaim the gospel and to see our churches grow? Well, the Holy Spirit's role is is pervasive all throughout from the very beginning to end, isn't it? Um, the Holy Spirit is the one. He's the one who uh, inspired authors to give us the word. Mm-hmm. And so the scripture, it's not just a dead book. It's, it's a living book given us by God's Holy Spirit for the very purpose of using in ministry. And over and over again, we see how this uh, great treasure which God's given us is our primary tool. And then uh, the Holy Spirit is the Word's primary interpreter, um, that he illumines us so that we can understand it. And then the Holy Spirit is God's empowerment for us to preach it, proclaim it, to uh, share it with unbelievers and believers alike. And uh, ultimately, the Holy Spirit is the one that brings the fruit, um, that if there's any effect from the preaching of the Word, it's not because I'm a persuasive uh, teacher or a persuasive evangelist, it's because the Holy Spirit worked to convict that person of sin Mm -hmm. using his word and of righteousness and of judgment and convince them that Jesus Christ is Lord, uh, Savior, and and God. And as as Luke begins the book of Acts and and talks about the growth of the church, the Holy Spirit comes up again and again. You know, verse 2, Jesus had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen uh, verse uh, six, uh, sorry, verse five. It says Jesus says, "John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now." And then, as he uh, begins to commission them, he says, "You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth." And so, as that process of beginning the church is started, it, it begins with this promised Holy Spirit, and is that the Holy Spirit comes upon them, they have the mm-hmm. power to do this this ministry and to grow the church, but it. It's it's not a true biblical God centered church growth apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. That's it's some good. it's it's counterfeit. That's good. Jesus said you must be born again by the Spirit and water. And so, well, we want our listeners to understand that we're pro church growth. We're not against church growth. We we want to be healthy. We want to grow in a healthy way. So, what can we convey? to our listeners uh, as a proper biblical approach to growing our churches? In other words, what are our convictions on uh, what we are charged to do in order to be faithful to God and entrust the results to him? Yeah, well, again, it's it's so important, I believe, for us to ask the first question first, which is what is going to honor God, what's going to be faithful to him? So that the message we preach, as we preach it, we first don't ask, did people like this message? <laughs> the first question is, did God like this message? Mm. Did this represent him well? 
And I believe that if we would return to that question, simply what is going to honor God, then uh, most of uh, the errors that I believe are committed in in methodologies uh, in ministry would be removed because Mm -hmm. uh, I believe, again, the Scriptures, God has made very clear how we can honor him in our work and in our ministry and in our church. That's good. Yeah, I was I was just thinking uh, prayer. You know, mm. Jesus instructs us to to pray that the Lord would send out laborers in the, in the field of harvest. And so it's uh, Jesus looks on on those who, who don't know God and says uh, that He has compassion. He's overwhelmed with compassion with a, with a love for these people. And so as we think about church growth, our our desire should be, man, I, I also desire these people right now who do not know God to someday. Uh, be worshipers of of God in, into eternity, mm-hmm. and so that's that's our prayer is that that our church would grow and that God would be glorified through greater worship. One of the uh, complaints against uh, church by unbelievers is that uh, preaching is boring or uh, too long, and that's uh, intentional. <laughs> we we don't want to entertain. <laughs> well, we all understand though that our preaching must be application oriented, right? so that people can understand how to receive and then to uh, enact the truths that they see within the Scripture. Um, And also Paul says uh, that the goal of our instruction ought to be love. Mm -hmm. And so as churches that are uh, desiring God to bless our ministries and to grow us in a healthy way, uh, we must encourage ourselves to, to receive the truth and live it out which means to love God with all of our hearts and to love others. And so when people see a church body that is fueled uh, by uh, love for one another and love for our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, I, I believe there's great encouragement in it. It's a, it's a winsome, attractive testimony. But also, uh, we're not going to grow unless we uh, emphasize and execute the Great Commission, right? right? And the Great Commission is? Go into all the world and make disciples. That's right. You know, but we baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and and we teach them to observe everything. Mm-hmm. You know, God is seeking worshipers who would worship Him in spirit and in truth, and He's not just seeking church attenders. He's not seeking to fill up places. Uh, that's not impressive to God. Mm-hmm. Um, but He is seeking people who would commit themselves wholeheartedly by faith, and it is the gospel and God's Word that brings about that kind of effect upon a person's heart. Well, thanks, men. I trust that this was uh, edifying to our listeners, and uh, uh, we pray that uh, to that end that uh, we'll encourage the proper perspective on growing our churches. God bless you. God bless you.